Welcome to Educated Messes, a podcast to help you sift through the bullshit around work, well-being, and relationships. We'll ask questions, seek answers, and share experiences to help you navigate the messier parts of life. Because trial and error is a lot easier when we do it for you. Hi, I'm Kelsey. I'm Kyla, and today we're talking about authenticity. This is part one of another little two-part series we're doing. And it's our second time (laughs) recording it, too. It's going to grow better this time. We almost had another nine-month hiatus on our hands. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it was quite that bad, but (laughs) it was a bit rocky. Yeah, so feeling a bit more equipped to talk about it now. So hopefully we all learn together (laughs) in this episode. Yeah, we noodled on it. We noodled. We took some time. We noodled and we're trying again. So I thought we might just start with a definition of authenticity. When I was looking into this, it was interesting that it seems like it's a little bit like ambiguous and complex and like a little bit controversial. And there's a lot of different ways that people think about authenticity. So we kind of landed on one that feels aligned with what we think authenticity is. And that definition is... Striving to align our actions with our core values and beliefs with the hope of discovering and then acting in sync with our true selves. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I like it. Definitely the values aspect of it is super important. Mm -hmm. And then I also, for me, I think a big learning with authenticity is that it's not something that you have. Like it's not a character trait that some people Mm -hmm. have and some people don't, but rather it's something that you are in practice of. So You can have moments where you're super authentic and moments where you're less so. And really, for me, I know my goal would be to show up as authentically as possible in as many different sort of Mm -hmm. areas of my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I really like the the little mantra. We're starting off right with a mantra right away. But values are action statements. Yeah. So why does authenticity matter? Um, There are studies that show that people who score higher on measures of authentic living report greater happiness, uh, more positive emotions, higher self-esteem. They report having better relationships with others and more personal Mm -hmm. growth. So we love all those things. Yes, that makes sense to me. I can even think of times in my life where I feel like the word I always come back to is alignment. And I can think of times where like I felt really something in my life felt like it was really out of alignment. And Mm -hmm. it's really hard to ignore that, especially if it's, you know, your job or your relationship or whatever it is. But in those moments where it like you recognize that, I feel like it's hard to wake up every day and do that thing or be with that person and and have the awareness that it's like not feeling in sync with what you want for yourself. Yeah, it's a very like icky feeling, almost like cognitive dissonance vibes where it's like, I know this ain't it, but I'm I'm here, I'm doing this thing. <laughs> For sure. And I think it's such a, a conversation around like sunk costs or whatever mm. it's called, where mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I did take econ at one point <laughs> in my life, but <laughs> where it's like... You think – like I know that I had a job for a while when I was um, sort of out of high school type thing and I remember thinking like, you know, this is is good. This is a good job. Mm. I should be lucky to have this job and, you know – it's going to it's going to help me. I don't know what the whole <laughs> thing was, but there was a lot of internal messaging about like how mm. it was good and so I should like it. Yeah. And it was just the other day where 
I was in a space which is similar to a space where I used to work. And I remember thinking like, I stayed at that job for so long, knowing full well it was not right. And it's just interesting how like when you're in it, you're kind of like, you. I don't know if you think something's going to change or if you think you're doing the right thing or something, but I just remember being in there the other day and being like, wow, I was every day waking up aware that it was so not making me happy or the right thing for me and just continuing to yeah do it. Yeah. It's hard. It reminds me of something my therapist said not that long ago. Just because a choice that we made stopped working doesn't mean that it, it was the wrong choice. Mm. I, I can think of jobs that I've started where I was so excited at the, at the beginning yeah. and then it, it became misaligned or like I guess I got to know myself better and then and then realized mm. that it, it actually wasn't aligned with what I wanted. And I think, yeah, it's it's easy to kind of look back and be like, oh, I, I knew it was wrong and I I stay right. But yeah. It's it's tricky because we are constantly getting to know well like the goal I think for me is to to get mm. to know myself better as I go. And hopefully we make choices that become more and more authentic to us as we go. It's a process, mm-hmm. you know, we grow in. For sure. <laughs> Yeah, agreed. So now that we've defined it, we care about it. We've defined it. We want to find it. We want to be authentic. So I think it's important to start with talking about what the barriers to authenticity are, because I think there's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And there were so many ways we could take this conversation. I think that's kind of where we got stuck a bit in the first episode is like, it's a huge topic. So in this one, we've chosen three barriers that we feel are pretty big. Yeah, I definitely agree that like, this is where I get stuck too, because I agree there's so many different ways where we, we like face things that tell us to stop being authentic or that get in our way. And I think that it's really hard to to be an authentic person in the world yeah. on a regular basis. And that's why so many of us struggle with it. It's why it's such like a buzzword, I think, is mm-hmm. because it is really challenging. And I think it is something that we, a lot of us are in pursuit of because we know that a lot of our, you know, day-to-day would feel better if we were in a practice of this. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're going to solve the world's problems today. <laughs> Kyla. No pressure. So the three barriers that I'm going to cover here. <laughs> well, the first one I'm calling, we live in a society. The mm-hmm. second one is our brains are wired goofy. And then the third mm-hmm. one is we don't actually know ourselves. So mm-hmm. here we go. I like them. <laughs> the first one, we live in a society. Or also, we live in whatever body we were given in a pretty fucked up society is the longer mm-hmm. version of that one. So this one's a, a little bit heavy, but I think it's really important to start this conversation um, just acknowledging that we are operating within systems that were built by and for wealthy, white, able-bodied, heterosexual, neurotypical men. Mm-hmm. If that brings up anything for you, <laughs> let's talk about it, but it's true. <laughs> so... <laughs> This feels similar to me to something we touched on a bit in the self-compassion episodes, but basically just the more messaging we get from external sources on our worthiness, the harder it can be to love and accept and express ourselves. Mm -hmm. And these systems of oppression can also lead to certain spaces not feeling safe for people to show up as their full authentic selves. And that's very important to recognize uh, before Mm -hmm. we go on talking about like how we can show up fully because that's a privilege. It is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. A privilege to show up authentically in spaces where for some people it's not Mm -hmm. safe to do so or it's not Mm -hmm. even an option. And even to find, you know, a career or things like that that are in more alignment with yourself is sometimes like not an option also. Mm -hmm. So 
definitely recognizing that. I think a place where we can speak from is like that of being a woman in this society. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, Brene Brown talks about it in Gifts of Imperfection where it's this sort of battle between, you know, don't be afraid to have an opinion, but mm. don't be, don't like put people off and mm. be educated, but don't be a know-it-all and mm. speak your mind, speak your truth, but don't upset people. And all of those, like that different messaging that we get that makes it really, mm. really difficult to understand like where do you fall within that mm. and like what's appropriate and when. And yeah. I think this is a story I've told before too, but I struggled a lot with understanding how to be opinionated and also be someone who was seen as kind. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I saw it modeled right in front of me where I have a friend and she is like, if you ask anyone, she's an incredibly compassionate, kind human being. And she has such strong opinions and she vocalizes them. And typically, you know, it's her sticking up for other people or it's her just like championing what she believes is right. And so it comes from a very, you know, compassionate and like moral mm -hmm. place. But she's not afraid to even things that seem so goofy, but like, you know, one example I can think of is I went, I really struggled with like, um, adult hormonal acne, if you will, in like my 20, 25 <laughs> range. My point being is that I ended up going to get a facial at this place. And this friend that I'm talking about, she knew the owner, she knew these people. And so um, she it came highly recommended. And I went in and my experience just wasn't what I was hoping for. I think I'd built it up a lot in my mind. And, and so I think to go into a space where like you are really vulnerable, your skin is showing and you're like asking for help. And then to have someone maybe make you feel a little bit worse about it, like mm -hmm. whether it's their tone or some of the suggestions they're giving, sometimes it can feel like really icky. And that was the experience that I had. And I shared this with my friend sort of reluctantly because it had been recommended. She literally drafts up an email that like <laughs> explains my experience. She's got notes. It's like all in there and then passes it over to me so that I can send it. And she's like, people like don't know necessarily how to handle those situations. And like you deserve to go and have an awesome experience. Like you deserve to be treated kindly in those moments. And saying that you weren't isn't a bad thing. Like it's not, mm. you're allowed to say it didn't go well. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and we're told that we like, don't make people uncomfortable. Don't take up too much space. Sure. Don't, you know, be disagreeable or whatever. Yeah. Yes. And like, just be like grateful or don't, don't worry about it or something like that. And she was just like, no. And what happened is they called me and they brought me back in and they apologized and they treated me really kindly. And I went there like every month for years because it, it got fixed. Otherwise, I just never would have gone back. So it's like I was doing myself a disservice too. Mm -hmm. But it was like out of this fear of like, don't cause a fuss over something. Like, just be quiet. Yeah. Like, you're fine. And it was, yeah. it was just a – I mean, it's a small example, but it's just a lesson in like I really needed to unlearn that having an opinion or, or disliking something or even like being made to feel uncomfortable and expressing that is not mm -hmm. me being, you know – aggressive or yeah. annoying or too much yeah yep we gotta uh we gotta take up a little more space here sometimes <laughs> yeah be a bit louder yeah. yeah oh boy I could tell a bunch of those but <laughs> we'll just do an episode just like ranting one day <laughs> yeah of times where I've been wronged and said nothing at all yeah. that would... 
a, a special six-hour episode. <laughs> Times when we were inauthentic. <laughs> <laughs> so another related barrier to this kind of like society is fucked up one that uh, any type of trauma we might be carrying with us, whatever that is, mm-hmm. past experiences might cause our bodies to feel unsafe in certain situations and it can make it hard to know what is good and true to us so when we're activated is what I like to call it when we're in like fight or flight mode Mm -hmm. we can fall into a really like reactive and not necessarily logical state where we might not be moving in alignment with our values and maybe acting inauthentically and yeah this is all just super layered and it's unique to every individual but yeah we wanted to touch on those things because it kind of informs this whole topic and how we should approach it. So just to come back to that one a little bit, wouldn't an Mm -hmm. example of that be like you're in a situation where you're uncomfortable and so maybe you're like more volatile or more reactive than you would want to be, but it's because something's being maybe like triggered under the surface. Like, is that sort of what you mean? Yeah, I could think of something just came to mind where, how do I say this in a way where it doesn't give away too much information? (laughs) Working in a toxic work environment mm. where I i don't think I, I really was fully aware of this at the time, but I was constantly in a state of, well, it's fight, flight, or freeze. And I think I was kind of in like a freeze state where mm-hmm. in hindsight, I was very uncomfortable, but I, I didn't mm. stand up for myself or I just like stayed in that situation. And that was right. very out of alignment with what was like good and true and authentic to me. Right. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So it just, it impacts your ability to act authentically. Yeah. Move and like get yourself out of situations or yeah, like stand up for yourself, whatever it is can be very hard. Uh, Okay. So barrier number two, our brains are wired goofy. This point feels linked to the last point as well. And we've talked about this before too, how like our brains aren't wired for happiness. They're wired for survival. So how this shows up is basically we try to fit into the group as a survival mechanism. And this kind of came up in this context because I was listening to Liz Tran's Reset podcast on authenticity. And yeah, she was talking about how society makes it really hard for us to love ourselves. And because we're wired to seek approval, we can sometimes betray ourselves in certain ways Mm -hmm. in order to, you know, fit into the tribe and not be... Mm-hmm. excommunicated which like that's not a thing anymore we probably won't die if we uh, displease somebody but that's the the wiring that we have going on still but i mean it's not completely true anymore but there are so many studies that talk about how like lack of social connection is like one of mm-hmm. the biggest th- things that leads to like disease and death and mm-hmm. like loneliness is something that kills people and so mm-hmm. i think it is still a thing where it's like Yes, of course, now maybe you can find your group more, but not having people in your corner is very harmful to your health, Mm -hmm. I feel like. So it makes sense that it's like so – we pursue it so aggressively Mm -hmm. even when we know that we're acting inauthentically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're social creatures. We say it all the time. Also so linked to people-pleasing, I feel like, because – A segue. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Even the story I was just telling, like, I think that I'm someone who maybe, even though I should go back and listen to our people-pleasing episode, but I feel like maybe I didn't think I was so affected by this, but Mm -hmm. so often in situations where it's like, why don't you just say no, or I don't like that, or whatever that the real answer is, as opposed Mm -hmm. to just like nodding, like, what is that that's so deeply ingrained where 
you're constantly being presented with these opportunities to like say actually what you think. And mm-hmm. you're, my default for sure is often to just say the thing that like causes the least amount of fuss. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I know it's it's interesting because like that's also linked to socialization. That's also linked to, yeah, the right. fear of rejection. So go listen to our, if you want to learn more about these things, the first episode we ever posted, why is it so hard to try mm-hmm. new things? And then also our people pleasing episode. We, yeah, that's basically what this point, this barrier is to me is like when you're afraid of rejection, it can lead to people pleasing behaviors. And we break those mm-hmm. down a lot more in that episode, but high level, it's basically us abandoning our own beliefs and needs in order to accommodate the needs of others and be accepted by them, mm-hmm. which, yeah, it can, that doesn't feel very authentic, but we, I mean, yeah. I still struggle with it all the time. Yeah. One of the barriers I feel like that Brene talks about is sort of this questioning in our heads where it's like, what if I, what if I allow myself to be seen and to mm-hmm. be known as who I really am and nobody likes what they see? Mm-hmm. Like there's all these fears around, you know, what if someone does like crack through this stuff and gets there and they're like, no, thank you. I'm yeah. not, I don't enjoy this. And so yeah. I do think that there, it is such a normal emotion to be afraid of of letting people in because it is such an act of vulnerability to show up as who we are because you're really like laying it all out there for people to judge in Ugh. a sense like hopefully they won't but Scary. they could they have the option to yeah 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 I actually have a quote here from when I was looking into this a bit more from Brene Brown who I feel like I should say this every episode, but if you're a, <laughs> if you're a longtime listener, you know who Brene Brown is, but she's a psychologist and researcher, and I think she specializes in vulnerability mostly. Yeah. But she says that in order for a connection to happen, we have to allow ourselves to be seen, really seen. And then this article was saying that authenticity appears to be crucial for developing closeness and connection to others, but paradoxically, a fear of rejection may be what keeps us from expressing our authentic selves. So Mm -hmm. it's like a catch-22 situation. For sure. And I think the goal is not to be immune to criticism. Like it's not, Mm -hmm. the goal isn't to be like, this is who I am and I don't care what anybody thinks. (laughs) Yeah. It, when we get to that point, I feel like that makes it harder to connect with people because we're just going like, oh, we don't care. Like, I don't, I don't yeah. care what you have to say. I don't care about feedback. Like, I think it is, I think that is part of the challenging piece is that it is, it exists in this middle ground where it's like, I'm not immune to what other people think of me because there's value in feedback. Mm-hmm. Sometimes yeah, you do act sure. in ways you could be authentically being kind of an asshole. <laughs> so like, <laughs> There's still value in in hearing feedback and and being receptive to it when it you know it's appropriate or it comes from people you care about. But yeah, it, it is it exists in this space where you have to you know be willing to hear it and also yeah. be willing to continue being yeah. or at least trying to be the most authentic. Yeah, and I guess like for me, one of my values would be like showing up as kind. So if I'm acting in ways that are unkind and like get feedback in those ways, that's helpful for me. Totally. And just know that like you'll survive criticism. It might feel icky, but you'll be okay. (laughs) Yeah. I think there's this mindset where it's like, I I remember being asked this all the time, like growing up where people are like, do you care what other people think of you? And the goal was to be able to be like, no, I'm just, (laughs) I'm me. (laughs) And now I'm very aware that like, that's not the goal. Like I do care what people think of me in the sense that like I love and care for people and I want them to feel loved and cared for. Mm -hmm. And 
absolutely if I was behaving in a way that was causing harm or even just like, I don't know, bugging someone, I would want to know. And <laughs> mm-hmm. it's not enough to be like, oh, I don't want to be unfazed by how I show up in the world. I want I want to be open to feedback. And then also be aware of like whose feedback is important to me. Is a stranger yeah. on the internet? No. Or like yeah. is my ex-boyfriend's? No. <laughs> but like <laughs> You know, are my best friend's opinions important of me? Is my partner's opinion important of me? Definitely. Yeah. That reminds me of a quote. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's don't accept criticism from someone you wouldn't accept advice from or something like that. Yeah. There's also like a Kanye version of that where he's like, I don't, <laughs> oh, no. ta- I don't take advice from people less successful than me. Or oh, God. <laughs> I don't know if we're wanting to take advice from no, Kanye. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have mentioned his name. <laughs> Controversy. But yeah, fair. I definitely agree with that. Like, who are we accepting feedback from? Because sometimes I do think I, you know, when I'm nervous about something or even like when we're putting stuff out there on the podcast or out in the world, I'm like whose opinions are circulating through my mind right now that are stopping me from doing this? And it's usually Mm. people where I'm like, dude, what are, (laughs) why do you care? Why do you care? Yeah. So yeah, Yeah. I think it's important to question that sometimes too. Yeah. For me with this one, um, the people pleasing stuff, I, when we first recorded this, I was kind of like of the mind that, yeah, I I show up pretty authentically in most spaces. I I do my best too. And then (laughs) I was thinking about like, romantic context and holy moly she has room to grow (laughs) yeah fair I just like it feels and I don't know it's like the balance between (laughs) the kind of thing that we've talked about before of like not everyone deserves to hear your story or like deserves your trust by default but then also fear of rejection and I have not found uh the balance there yet but (laughs) we're working on it (laughs) That is like for sure my biggest, even when I was someone who was like dating in the world, which was brief and also like unsuccessful <laughs> mostly, but <laughs> even when that was my life, I'm like the person these people met on a first date has nothing to do with me. Like I'm like, so I'm never going to give someone advice on like how to approach those situations because oh my god, I, I'm like, I exist in a people pleasing state in those scenarios. I'm just like, what does this person want me to say? (laughs) Was that joke funny? Not really, but I don't want to be uncomfortable. Oh my God. I know it's rough. I think a big lesson for me where I realized that that was who I was is when I went to university, I met a gal who is one of my best friends now, but this was in the early stages of knowing her. She lived this you know, wildlife where compared to mine, at least it felt like she'd, you know, lived in Indonesia for a while and she went to boarding school in Switzerland and like just a a very unique growing up experience. And I just thought she was so cool. Like I was just in awe of her stories (laughs) and all these things. And she had the biggest crush on this guy, like the biggest, like one (laughs) of those crushes that just like really knocks you out. (laughs) And he was this, you know, he was a cool guy. He was, we were living in the same building as him because it was our first year of university. And I remember I was just getting to know this gal and everyone knew that she had a huge crush on this guy. And one <laughs> evening we're all sitting in her room and he just he just arrives in the door frame. And all of us, we're like not facing him. So we're all just like, our eyes are, <laughs> not, we're like, oh my God, what is this person doing here? And I was just expecting her, you know, I was projecting like what I would do. And I'm like, I'd be so nervous. I'd be like 
I'd be weird. I'd just be weird in like <laughs> yeah. a, I hope you like me way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she was just the exact same person as before he walked into the room in like the most jarring way for me. Like she just <laughs> continued to exist as the person that she was in front of this guy she had a crush on and hadn't really spoken to. And I remember literally calling my mom and being like, <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know it was possible. To just be the same person in different realms of your life. Like, and I think it comes from like a genuine place. Like, I just get nervous. Like, I get mm-hmm. nervous in those situations and I start to act a bit weird. It's not that I'm in those situations and I'm like, I'm going to act different now. Mm-hmm. But I just, mm-hmm. I, it's insecurity. It's all these things. Yeah. And just seeing someone be so secure in who they are that they were just like, yeah, I have a crush on this guy, but like, this is who I am. And so, like, do you have a crush on me back? And like, this is, this is it. <laughs> I was like, I was in love. I'm like, this is the coolest behavior because it's like, you just are you and you know that like being you is good enough and people can, and she won't accept this praise. Like she'd be like, oh, like, of course she has her own shit, but I don't know. It was such an eye opening moment for me where I was just like, I really want to feel that way. Like I really just Mm want to be me and be kind and me and all these things, but also just allow people to either decide that they want to be a part of you know, my situation or not. Yeah. 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 Not trying to convince people one way or the other. <sighs> yeah. That that's really impressive, especially at like a young age. Wow. Yeah. First year university. Who was, who was I? Oh, God. <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> she was struggling. Okay. Um, <laughs> so the last barrier that we wanted to cover, I've called, we don't actually know ourselves slash being disembodied. So let me try to explain what this means to me. Part of this, I think, is what I've heard explained as living in a disembodied society, which I found really interesting, but it's basically the idea that (laughs) – bear with me here – it's in the best interest of capitalism that we're super disconnected from our bodies and we don't know what we're feeling so we can keep on producing all the time, basically. Mm -hmm. So I know personally and I kind of forget that this has been my journey because I've been on it for a long time now and still have a ways to go. But I had to learn how to feel Mm -hmm. like I when I started out going to therapy, like didn't know what physical sensations in my body were linked to what feelings and what information Mm -hmm. and what I should do about those things. And when you're in that state, which like I have compassion for that girl. But when you're in that state, you can't really move in alignment with your values. You can't – it's like kind of the Mm -hmm. same as the first point that you are way more reactive because you're kind of just like surviving. But yeah, I think a lot of us are in that state. And and of course, of course, like that's kind of how – society has has done it for us but mm-hmm. yeah i don't know if it's possible to live authentically if you're just kind of like reacting your way through life or using other people's definition of authenticity this one feels like a big one for me personally just because of my own experience mm-hmm. yeah a couple of things come to my mind there where like even with your initial point it for me it also brings up like so much diet culture and like mm-hmm. even the wellness industry is like those things don't exist if we all just like love ourselves so goddamn much yeah. like so much of that stuff where it's like well if we believed ourselves to be like inherently worthy and inherently lovable then you know we wouldn't be buying <sighs> I don't even want to say diet culture things because like it's so spooky to me too. But like we're like 
why does my mind go here? Like, why can I not do this? And it's like, well, the information we've been receiving since day one, since like, I remember being like 12 years old and reading like Us Weekly and that shit was so, so spooky. Like, it's so toxic. And just like, it, it seemed harmless. And then it's like, okay, well, why am I now like 27? Is that... <laughs> that's not a question. <laughs> that's a question. And still having to unlearn these things about yeah. my body, about food, about the way I show up in the world. And it's like, well, you don't just receive information for two decades and then be like, yeah. oh, forget it. I I am lovable. I am good enough. All of these things. So yeah. I do feel like there is such a, a role of self-compassion here too, where it's like, man, it's not easy to Mm. be authentic when the information we're receiving is like, be quiet or be smaller or don't take up so much space or don't have an opinion. Like it's hard to then just be like, I'm actually, I'm gonna anyways. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Not even sorry. Don't say sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Do you ever feel like the first half of, not even the first half, like I feel like up until age 23 I was like learning all of these things and now I'm just like unlearning all of them it's like is this just the whole other half of life is I I act like I'm gonna live to like 50 but like it just feels like everything that we were taught is like oh wait a second like that wasn't actually mine that wasn't for me that like it was someone else's messaging and I don't know I think it is a unique experience to be living at this time also like Mm. I even look to the messaging that like Gen Z receives and I'm definitely not saying it's a breeze out there y'all like social media is so much more rampant all of that Mm -hmm. but even just like having the other side of the conversation like when we were growing up it wasn't like that's true oh go on a diet and then there was other people being like no don't do that it was just like you should do that. <laughs> that yeah, this is the way. And so I do even seeing like the discourse around the other side of it. Yes, the stuff is still really loud, whether it's like trying to fit in or conform or whatever it is, that's loud. But I yeah. do see so many people that are like showing up in the world and like trying to combat these yeah these like existing ideas so I'm like hopeful like when I look at Gen Z I'm like very hopeful for the way that they just they're like they're loud in a Mm -hmm. yeah in a cool Mm -hmm. way and I I think we reap the rewards of it because like I a lot of us are still existing in this headspace that we've been learning for 20 years and Mm -hmm. I think some of them are they're on the other side of it a little bit so Yeah. yeah I do think it's a lot of unlearning but I think it is this, it is like a lifelong process for sure of figuring out like what matters most to us and how to like fight for that in some ways, like how, what's most important for us to unlearn and what's most important for us to channel. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That basically we already covered the second half of this point that I had written down, but uh, yeah, I think a huge part of this, like not knowing ourselves is we've just been trucking through life without questioning anything and like of course we're just trying to survive and like you know get through the day but I think that getting to know ourselves and learn about ourselves it doesn't happen by accident it takes time and it takes intention and it takes you know Mm -hmm. like (laughs) journaling and like practicing and thinking about it and we said this at the beginning we'll keep on saying it but it's so important at least it has been for me to get really clear on what my personal values are so that I can practice them 
And I think we probably could do a whole episode on values and maybe we will, but that's kind of the thoughts that I had, those three barriers to authenticity. And yeah, the next episode, we're going to be breaking down some tools we might use to become more authentic in kind of this definition that we've been working with. But yeah, this is some, this is some tricky stuff, eh? <laughs> As Brene would say, it's the audacity to be authentic. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Okay, let's end on that note. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. Authenticity part one fact check. Cool, let's go. <laughs> okay, so not a ton of facts in this one, but... Uh, it was all false. <laughs> no. It, I, I should say not a lot of facts. You were actually spitting facts in this one, but they were previously researched. So we'll source it up on the website. And, you know, if you disagree with us, hit us up. We'll chat. Yeah. But one thing that did come up during it was we were sort of talking about the pressure to conform coming from a place of like evolutionary, not wanting to be the odd person out. Yeah. And I kind of made a comment about how like it it does pose health risks still nowadays to like be mm-hmm. someone who's socially isolated. So I just wanted to add some facts behind that. Cool. <laughs> so obviously it's hard to measure like social isolation and loneliness like scientifically because it it's just complicated. But yeah. one thing that they do notice is that in especially in folks who are older who are socially isolated, this like level of loneliness can put their health at risk. So it can cause premature or it increases risk of premature death from all causes. So it rivals things like smoking and physical inactivity, things like that. Sorry, I'm not laughing because this is funny. I feel like I'm like <laughs> chuckling, but I was just thinking about because like I know I know this I like have known this to be true for some time and I remember when I was really going through like a lonely time last or no because I had anyways I had a lot of time on my hands and (laughs) I remember being so lonely and also being like and it's killing me It didn't help. <laughs> oh my god, the drama. I know. I was like, I'm gonna die. Oh <laughs> like my smoking. god. I'm so lonely. I'm so bored. And I'm shaving years off my life. <laughs> That's really funny. Little sidebar. <laughs> I think those are typically the thoughts that aren't helpful in those moments. Yeah, I would say that's maybe catastrophizing or something like that. But just thought I'd share. Oh my god. Anytime we ever get left out of any sort of like hangout, I'm just gonna be like, this is killing me. Literally. This is killing me. <laughs> we didn't claim to not be dramatic people, so mm-hmm. here we are. Mm-hmm. So also, and I've I've read about this before too, about the re- relationship between social isolation and and dementia and things like Alzheimer's. So like people's loneliness is a huge factor in those types of cognitive issues because another big part of this was that people, I'm about to say a fact right now that I haven't actually, (laughs) I don't have a fact in front of me, but I did read about this and it was like, you know how they always tell older people to like do puzzles and things like that? Mm -hmm. Apparently the amount of like brain space it takes to do a puzzle compared to the amount of brain space it takes to like hold an engaged conversation. It's like not even in the same realm. Like the brain Mm -hmm. power it uses to like listen and respond is so Mm -hmm. much 
greater. And so they were just talking about the difference between like, yes, of course, it's great to do puzzles and crosswords and all of that stuff, but it can't even compare to like the value in sitting across from someone and like having an engaged conversation. So yeah, I mean, I'll put a I'll put a source for that because I just said it. But yes. Yeah. You know what I'm also thinking? This isn't something you'll have to fact check. It's just like a, a question. Like yeah. you can be around other people and be lonely mm-hmm. like I wonder what these studies are saying about that you know because like I wasn't mm-hmm. alone I wasn't physically alone a lot of the time but I was lonely mm-hmm. well I think that's kind of what they talk about how it's hard to measure social isolation and loneliness mm-hmm. because yeah maybe it's about you know valuable and productive relationships versus there are lots of people that we can be around and still feel lonely near. Yeah. It's a really interesting point. I wonder if these things are like these studies are talking about isolation. Anyways, guess we'll never know because this is the fact check. <laughs> it's too late now. <laughs> Someone else figure it out. Someone tell us. <laughs> and then loneliness, of course, can be associated with like mental health issues, depression, anxi- anxiety, things like that. I'm going to stop there. I feel like we get the point. It's getting pretty dark here as <laughs> we go sad. down the yeah. jot notes. It's <laughs> it's dark. So you get it. I feel like we get it. Yeah. Cool. Okay. The other thing I wanted to touch on was I talk about the concept of sunk costs, which that came out of left field for me. I, I'm not going to lie. Took a couple econ <laughs> courses in school, but I'm not really sure. It came out of the uh, the archives there. Your uh, education was worth it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I actually remember telling this story to someone where I was interviewing for a job like fresh out of university and they asked me what I took in university and I took like international development. So it it has lots of econ and poli sci mm-hmm. aspects to it. And I remember the interviewer being like, you know, what did you learn about? And I remember being just completely stumped like I remember saying the words GDP like I remember being no. like yes I, that was like all I could think of I'm like GDP and and sunk cost baby so I I remember from my degree too is sunk cost theory or fallacy fallacy <laughs> yes so here we are you know uh. it's coming in handy hey I loved my education, but I do remember being like unable to put it into words when asked on the spot what I learned. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, pal. <laughs> but okay, so I call it sunk cost. And I do think I am the, on the right track here. It's, it is called sunk cost fallacy, the part of it that I was talking about. But it's essentially the concept of like not being able to cut your losses. So mm-hmm. it's the idea that like sunk costs in they influence our future decisions because we have a tendency to believe that because we've already invested money, time, et cetera, into something, that it's worth it to continue an endeavor once mm-hmm. that money, effort, and time has already been sunk into it, yeah. as opposed to cutting our losses and doing something else, even though those sunk costs can never be recovered either way. Like they're gone. Yeah. So that is sort of what I was getting at. But what it made me think of is <laughs> I love I love bringing up a TikTok and a fact check because you know, <laughs> sources. I, I love, love TikTok. Cite. This is APA sourcing TikTok. So I learned so much on TikTok. <laughs> same. This one was from someone named Lydia and Lydia Keating. I'll, we'll share this TikTok because I thought it was really interesting. And her dad is like a, a retired professor at MIT or something. So there's facts here, y'all. It's fine. Yeah. But he's talking about the concept of risk aversion. 
Mm. And essentially, she she tells a story about something. This is like advice her dad used to give to her and saying like, when we make decisions, our minds have a tendency to disproportionately fixate on the risks involved in that decision as opposed to the rewards, which makes sense. So it's like risk aversion. So if you're like weighing a new decision and you're thinking, should I move to a new city? We have a tendency to fixate on risks and subsequent subsequent costs of that as opposed to benefits. So you can think about obvious risks like, you know, it might be uncomfortable to live in this new place. I might be lonely. I might really miss my family and friends. I might hate it, <laughs> like all those things. And we can ruminate on these things and become discouraged from ever taking that action. But we don't often fixate on the costs of inaction. So mm -hmm. if you choose not to do this thing, what are the costs of that inaction over a year, over two years, over 10 years? And obviously, it depends on the situation and on your like on you. <laughs> but yeah. when you start to think about the cost of inaction, sometimes it can make the cost of action feel less risky. So mm. her point of this story is essentially like when she's trying to make a decision and she's choosing between something that feels really risky and something that feels comfortable, she tries to consider what the cost of the comfortable decision is. Because it's not to say that that's not sometimes the right decision, but if the only reason you're making it is because it's more comfortable, it's like something to consider. And so I just thought that was such an interesting principle of like the way we can approach decisions in our lives. And obviously, like a lot of that concept is rooted in privilege. And she she even mentions that too. Like, of course, some of these costs are just like too great and we have to take care mm -hmm. of people or we don't have a safety net, all of those things. But I think just even in some of our like basic decisions, it's an interesting thing to consider where it's like, yes, the cost could be really great. But if you, I, I can flip the switch in my head for some of the decisions that I bumped into in my life where it's like, what if you do nothing and you change mm -hmm. nothing? How, what are the costs of that going to be on your well-being in two years, like even if it's yeah. just a lifestyle change. But I just thought that was kind of like a fascinating shift. So I wanted yeah. to share that because all this econ talk, you know, it got me thinking. <laughs> it got me fired up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I I remember thinking a lot. I feel like maybe I said this to you at some point during <laughs> we just like vaguely mentioned the really hard times we've been through <laughs> and we never expand on it. That's so funny. <laughs> but when I was in the bad bad times, I remember thinking <laughs> I remember thinking, even though it was like really hard, that I just felt so lucky to have choice. Like, mm. I, it, yeah, it really made me realize how much of a privilege that choice is because, like, I was able to get myself into like circumstances that were better for me and like more healthy. Yeah. And that is like so not the case for everybody. So, yes, that's my fact check. Okay, I wanted to provide a little bit of clarity because I found a description of what I was trying to say in the like disembodied barrier and kind of also what I was saying about how sometimes if we're carrying trauma, it can affect our ability to choose and be authentic. So I was listening to, I don't know if you've ever heard of, I think it's Tara or Tara Brack, mm. but she was saying that and the episode, it was on her podcast, the episode was talking about radical acceptance and she was saying that when we're stressed or when we encounter unpleasant experiences, there's strong conditioning for our survival mechanisms to take over, which is like the fight, flight, freeze, and then she says grasping mm -hmm. response. And it happens really quickly. And it's often unconscious because of the intent of the survival brain. It's like just to protect you. Mm -hmm. And that means like it wants to control things as quickly as possible. So it's kind of like the amygdala thing we've talked about before, where it's like the fear center and it gets activated and 
you're like out of your logical brain and into Mm -hmm. your survival brain. So she says in those moments, we're in a survival brain hijack. We're basically like in a, in a trance and we're cut off from reason and we're cut off from empathy and we're cut off from compassion and basically from like our brain and like body. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So she, the episode was talking about how like radical acceptance is kind of a tool of opening back up when we're in that state. And then she offers a tool called RAIN. So like if you're ever activated, it's an acronym. So it's recognize, acknowledge, investigate, and nurture. Obviously, we're not going to expand on this. We're in the fact check. But um, look up Tara Brack. I'll link to this episode. Mm-hmm. It's cool stuff. It's kind of, It can be kind of intense and a lot, but helpful, I find, at times. Yeah. I mean, I definitely understood what you were saying because you did a great cool. job of articulating Thanks, it. But I appreciate the expansion, even just that I, I have been thinking about this a lot lately, how sometimes I'll be doing something and I'll be like, this feels bad. <laughs> like what? Mm-hmm. Just even like starting to have more awareness of like, wh- why am I doing this? Like you are in, you get, sometimes you get to a place and you're, you realize that you've been sort of not in the driver's seat mm-hmm. for like the mm-hmm. past I don't know, sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's like an hour. And I'm like, this doesn't feel good. And I think it all comes back, I feel like, to your mindfulness perspective too, where it's like, (laughs) I think the quicker we can draw attention to those things, the faster we can be like, you know, is this compassionate? Is this me caring for myself? Or am I doing something that is, you know, harming myself in some capacity or even just like leaving me feeling not good. Yeah. I just noticed that tonight I was doing something and I was like, <laughs> you know what I think sometimes really helps do is like verbalizing it like out loud. Like I'll just be mm-hmm. like, what what am I doing right now? <laughs> just outwardly questioning some of oh, the yeah. behaviors we get into. I talk to myself all the time. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I wonder if my neighbors can hear. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh no, she definitely lives with someone. <laughs> I might be on the phone. They don't know. <laughs> You might be recording the podcast. It's none of their business. I could be on Zoom. I could be doing anything. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. We did it. Yeah, we did it. Yay. Good job, us. (laughs) (laughs) This episode was about economics. If you missed that, I know it says authenticity, but it was actually Econ 101. Sponsored by Miguel. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think they'd want to sponsor this. Hmm. This girl went to the school for four years, said she learned GDP, so... (laughs) Didn't learn a thing. Oh, my God. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) Bye. Bye.